0: Hello everyone, I am Stephen Drew and here we are, we're actually here in September, aren't we Katya? Yeah. But This is the point. Oh, I said your name already. Uh, my hosting <laughs> skills, my hosting skills, I've got to practice this. When you do your podcast, don't do it like this. But I am here in September with the fantastic guest Katya Leather from the architecture community and the BIM community, but now doing something which I think is equally interesting and arguably, in my personal opinion, more profound. So Katya is director of Blush Cloud. And, the, and so what we do, what you do at Blush Cloud, I think changes the atmosphere. I know that is your tagline. It is to do with diversity and inclusivity and making teams more productive, more happy and more awesome in the world. Katya, how are you today?
1: Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. It's a beautiful day today, and I'm really excited to talk to you.
0: Amazing. All right. That's so cool. So we are going to talk about your architecture background because I think that journey is fantastic. However, tell us a little bit more about Blush Cloud. Now give the proper introduction so that people have a complete understanding of what the company is, and then we can backwards engineer your journey there.
1: Of course. Um, so Blush Cloud changes the atmosphere, just just as you said. We are a diversity and inclusion consultancy, uh, and we also provide leadership coaching services. Um, I come from the experience of of the construction industry, and I know how important this is. And I also sit at the busy intersection of being a queer immigrant woman. So Mm -hmm. I come with this lived experience and a lot of um, the professional understanding that I've built through uh, with a real desire to make it possible for all people to feel included in their workplaces, because I think this is what we need right now, very desperately
0: amazing and you're doing a fantastic job of looking at the camera and i'm doing an awful job at it so i'm <laughs> oh, doing it te- takes
1: a lot of focus i just keep keep wanting to look at your face it, and i'm just
0: no nope. you know what? we can nope. look at the face <laughs> most half the people are going to be listening on audio <laughs> anyways but <laughs> like let's enjoy ourselves and that's amazing as you said and that was quite <laughs> a poignant point of that you were you considered yourself at that point a queer immigrant but look right i'm a gay man from the architecture industry as well and I remember working in architecture practice many, many years ago in 2012. And, you know, there wasn't many people that came out at that time. And what's interesting is that we were having a chat in the office at Ackroyd Larry the architecture practice, where, you know, everyone's open. And as I mentioned to you, we have an open, we have an open, let me get it right on errors. I said it to you earlier perfectly. We have an open non-binary trans person in and it's amazing and we were we were celebrating uh, pride Day, and i was talking about my journey as well and what was interesting is that it's almost it seems to me now i've been blessed whereas the places i've worked at i kind of feel myself and when i haven't when i've interviewed places i haven't felt the need to kind of talk about my sexuality but there's still a lot of work and there's still a lot of prejudice out there and this is why i guess you're doing your awesome company. So do you want to tell me a little bit about the driver behind Blush Cloud? Mm.
1: So I've I've always been um, involved in various diversity and inclusion um, initiatives in construction. As you can imagine, um, woman in architecture, woman in BIM digital construction, I have spent many days on tables with 12 angry old white men and myself. (laughs) And I kind of have felt that need. So I've been involved in things and probably one of the first more substantial seeds for what i want to do happen at the 2019 pride and mm-hmm. my heart melted it was an amazing experience um i was extremely lucky to be on the architecture lgbt plus float like oh on the cool actual float Oof. oh cool it was no 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 words exist to describe what it's like to travel through an actual million people crowd and be able to scream at them and they scream back at you. It's no words anyway. But I've positioned myself on that float because it was obviously a cozy, cozy experience. Mm -hmm. And I I got a tap on my shoulder. And this person uh, says, oh, hi, Katya, how are you? And first moment, I couldn't even remember his name. We used to work together three years before that. And it was in a big company, HKS. We were working in separate buildings We've, we've touched bases here and there at events, but different teams, different buildings, you know, I know his name now, but, you know, initially I was yeah, like, oh, and he was like, oh, I just really wanted to say hi and say how I really remember how out you were and all of the things that you did around. Um, I did a bit of a presentation and push for gender neutral facilities in um, right. the company. I did a presentation to explain the benefits and planning perspective, of which there are many, and also the violence gender non-conforming people face because of the lack of uh, public uh, gender neutral bathrooms and then when the company moved a couple of months afterwards all the facilities were gender neutral so that felt amazing
0: so you did it we'll have to have a quick round of applause for that look at what you've done there you go so hks's office right they are it's all gender neutral Mm -hmm. amazing and then and,
1: and and he said Oh, because of because of what you've done, because of all these things, I felt more comfortable to be myself. Mm. You know, he was a white man. He, he was either, I think he was higher ranking than me at that point. And mm. it just felt amazing. First of all, to remember oh. such a long time. I mean, three years is three years. It's, it's a bit to remember that and to have made this effect. Yeah. <sighs> it was really amazing feeling to know that I can have that kind of effect and that this is needed. And this kind mm-hmm. of continued to happen around LGBT, about uh, around uh, women's issues. I tend to be someone who is happy to step up, who's happy to speak up. And mm-hmm. through the years, I've built the vocabulary and I've built the patience to uh, stay with these things, explain them, explore them and, and put them out there for people. And when i moved to consulting as well in situations when i haven't even been part of the collective in a company people mm. have come up to me to ask to participate in these initiatives because they trust me to speak for them and that's mm. it's an amazing feeling I, I keep saying that but it really is you yeah. know that you can make a space better for someone else and last year with um George Floyd's murder was, was something that really, really pushed me and, and mm. made me commit to this immediately because I had started thinking about it in the start of the year and mm. in, the, in the before world, if you want to call it like this, um, mm. I was imagining maybe the next couple of years I can work in BIM and slowly transition into that as, as people do. But when the pandemic happened and this happened, I, I really had to pause and think about what i really want to do and you yeah. know if the world is ending in a minute it's no time to waste let's just get into the important stuff
0: i think that's um that's amazing and what a fantastic journey and and you're right is it's 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 an exciting time there's also a lot of work to be done as well so it's amazing that as well you've inspired people along your journey and that's what it's all about i kind of feel that there's an optimistic tone with all of this, it's not like, oh my gosh, there's so much work to do and we're so far behind. Actually, it is getting there and it's those little success stories. And I think as well now, I really love seeing a lot of architectural practices actually doing some amazing stuff around diversity and inclusivity. And what I'm talking about is not just like one picture, I'm on about actually getting people involved and doing stuff as well. And actually, I think what would be amazing for the listeners here, before we talk about your background, I would love to unpack all of what diversity and inclusivity entails and it's a long way but it can mean I think it can mean different things to different people. And so a good example that we did on Aqua Larry I talked to you about our office manager who is fantastic but I I think another good example of in, in kind of inclusivity and is that at Ackroyd Lowry, what we did is we got um, some students who were kind of at college level, and we talked about, spent a whole day and a half and walking them through what it's like to have a career in architecture and all this stuff. And And these were people from a background of not an affluent school. And to me, that's an example of inclusivity, because you're inspiring people that maybe wouldn't have had access to that, to... Uh, you know, have a career in, in a school. And, and we touched upon it before the podcast, and it's a lesson for me to record it. But, you know, architecture is so exciting, and, and it's really important to have people from a background, not all one school or one certain type of demographic. It's not all an affluent background. It should be people from everywhere. And, you know, my parents helped me get into architecture. But I came from a very humble background. You know, we had no money when I was growing up, and that doesn't need to stop people, but also... We do need to give people chances. So in your words, I would love to know, uh, how do you go about um, explaining diversity and inclusivity to people, Katia?
1: Overall, as um, you know, it's obviously a very big topic and it's really important to know there's a lot of things that are going better. But it's unfortunately, it's not a full on upward Trajectory. Uh, right. We we always want to hope that you know the arc of history is long, and we hope that it leans towards justice. But um, yeah. if we if we examine the processes that are happening now, especially around the pandemic, that there, there's been some significant uh, encroaching on on trans rights, specifically even in mm. uh, the UK, across Europe, there's been very very concerning. Um, attacks on uh, reproductive rights in the U.S. as well, um, going uh, around racism as well. It's some very, very concerning news about teaching mm. the real history of racism and how people are limited into that. So there's a lot of movement and there's a big rift because there's there's a section of society where things seem to be going great and going in a really excellent direction. But there's another one which um, is kind of separating a lot and... And I'm all about building bridges and this is part of what inclusion is, is creating these connections in the, the beautiful little islands that we are so it becomes a fu- functional archipelago eventually. Because mm. we are different, we can't deny that. We don't want to say yeah. we're colorblind because we're not and, and um, the, exi- the experiences that other people have had have affected them and mm. we need to acknowledge that. So it's about all those different experiences. In business, we often talk about women. So gender identity is important. But um, obviously, we need to talk about diverse genders and marginalized genders because there are multiple of them. It's not just men and women. Race is very important. Um, Obviously, sexual orientation and gender identity with the diverse gender identities need to be considered. Ability is something we don't talk about. Or whenever we talk about, we only focus on... um, uh, mobility disability and that's a very big topic which encompasses as well neurodiversity and in, in, in people who um, are neurotypical or people with dyslexia on the spectrum and so on. Um, uh, social. You it, know, I,
0: would, I wouldn't I would have thought of that. I, well, it just, it doesn't, because it's such a broad topic, I, I guess, I don't know whether it's my mind or because of what's close to me, but then I, I have a, an understanding of, diversity and inclusivity is probably more to do with um, backgrounds and affluence or and sexual orientation because that's kind of closer to um what i've seen or i've experienced but when you just said that now i would yeah i wouldn't have thought of that typically straight away mm. But
1: and it's it's something that could um you know all of us have output that, that affects people in this way, especially even if you just Mm. work online and you think, Oh, my, my stuff is accessible because people don't need to get to places to hear it. But for example, um, contrast on your website is very important. Having accessibility. That was the first thing I did for my website was to find an accessibility tool that comes kind of on the side. Yeah. And, um, often, um, people with dyslexia may need different contrast levels. So if it's black on white or white on black, it doesn't work for them. It just kind of all blurs out. So they need to be able to do that. People with visual impairments need to be able to make things bigger or brighter. So all of these aspects are aspects of inclusion. Similarly, having materials which are written, which are audio, which are visual in terms of pictorial rather than written to encompass all of these abilities. And of course, what you mentioned, socioeconomic back background is extremely important. And it's a it's a huge aspect of diversity and it's one of quite limiting things for people. So there's, yeah. there's so much to be talked about, but within architecture specifically, yes, it's amazing to have these diverse workplaces because research shows, and I can quote you some excellent research by Dr. Catherine Phillips, um, that diverse groups outperform homogenous groups categorically not only um by the quality of their decision making but um within their consideration and and the accuracy of the decision making mm. however so it's great to be working in a diverse environment but architects are the people who create our world We all live in the built environment. Uh, We can kind of pull stats in there, but the majority of us live in the urban space, live in the the built environment. And that is, again, I'm going to say it, all of us. And Mm -hmm. if the space that is meant for all of us is just made by a certain group of people, then it's not going to serve everyone. So within architecture, we need to have a diverse view of what's needed in the world, because they may be the most amazing group of architects around the table, but if they have just had a white male privileged experience, they have no way of knowing. It's almost not their fault that they, they have no way of knowing what it's like to be a single black mom in a, a project somewhere in the U.S. or around here in a, a, um, a housing estate or something like that. It just doesn't work. But with an architecture, do you know what's the percentage of black women architects?
0: I think is quite low.
1: Give it a stab.
0: because I, I my background in recruitment, mm-hmm. yeah. So mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of applications. I think, and, and so what's the stat off? And I'm going to give you a good guess right now. So I'm not going. I'm not going to cop out. I'm going to have a proper guess. What is the stat about? Uh, out of all women architects, how many are black? Is that the stat? Is that
1: out of all architects, how many are black women? In percentage, one percent. <laughs> mm-hmm
0: one Oh, okay but i was in the right yeah because i was thinking that it's it's, it's low nothing. it's so it's low but you know what's mad is that i can think of on the top of my head and i would i'm almost excited to tell you who i <laughs> who i know are amazing black uh women architects but of course i don't want to say their names on the podcast without their permission for gdpr but you're right and and that's annoying because mm-hmm. that's they are talented. The ones I know. But it's a short list.
1: But also, it doesn't matter. Like that's the other thing um, that could be a tip for inclusion um, for for anyone that's listening. That kind of thing. Whenever you're you're highlighting a particular group that's present, in, oh, they're so amazing. Oh, they're so amazing. And then you remember, being average is a privilege.
0: <laughs> so yeah. it's
1: exhausting I, to kind of have to feel that you constantly need to be amazing to be able to say something about your experience or your needs and wants in the workplace
0: yeah uh, there's so much here when you were when you were talking there i was having i've got my sound effects here but appropriate sound effects so i was going oh so that was my my brain exploding I, so my brain was exploding a lot because you talk there about architecture in, in two senses because when we, before we even, when we talked before this, mm-hmm. I was talking about um, inclusivity and diversity more from a business standpoint because I've worked with a lot of architectural practices and there's massive tangible benefits in terms of employment, retention, and uh, this is recruitment-y stuff. There's lots of benefits to diversity, and inclusivity, people staying a long time doing awesome architecture. But, uh, yeah, there's, um, so, you know, the chap, um, I think his his name's Ben Cannon or Ben Ca- I think I've pronounced his surname right but let me I'm going to type away on this for one second. Mm-hmm. So Ben um I spoke to he's involved in the Architecture Benevolent Society Ben Channon okay. And so I spoke to him a while ago and he was at a sale okay. Uh the architects and he was head of well-being. And so I had the similar conversation with Ben because I was involved in the charity and I went, OK, what, what is your role? How the well-being? And part of his what his role was was looking after the staff. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And he was like, yeah, it's much more than that. I'm talking about the well-being of architecture, how to design with well-being in mind. And it was the same thing you said of it blew my mind because suddenly that's massive scope. And to do diverse and inclusive architecture, you're right, is uh, is so important because we can influence the fabric of urban society and all this stuff. And that's uh, truly amazing. That's a big task, though, Katya. You know, that's a lot.
1: (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) That's part part of the architectural profession. Architects need it's kind of like sustainability as well it needs to be implemented it doesn't need it can't be an add-on anymore it's integral to a design to be sustainable and inclusive so it's not my job i can can give them some tips but then when the the designs start coming together um you know it 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 has to be an integral part of the design
0: yeah well i agree and there's something to inspire to as well because at akra Library, we really care about sustainability so And that's amazing, but you're right, that diverse and inclusive architecture is equally important. I Um, mean,
1: uh, diversity and inclusion and sustainability are also very deeply intertwined. Um, When you look at the United Nations list of 17 goals, these things are together as one. And diversity and inclusion addresses and critiques the patriarchal imperialist white tradition that exists yeah. in the world that is very much celebrated in business. And that's very much the driver for a lot of the the things in business that have led us to where we are environmentally. Mm. And, um, very often when I need to talk to people about diversity and inclusion, I need to connect to the bottom line, right? Because yeah. in business, everything is about the bottom line, but I heard so- someone say that that's not my quote, but it's a really good one. I don't remember who said it. Um, it's important to remember that the end of the world is also bad for the bottom line so yeah, these true. things kind of come together and we need a new type of perspective we need new kinds of qualities to celebrate in business that's not just assertion and drive to profit but it's a more holistic view more sustainable and long-term um development of, of what we're doing and and the, that's why i see these things very very deeply connected
0: yeah, I agree. I think um, I think you're right. I, I'm I'm like you though. This is cynical part of me that I've learned that businesses follow a the bottom line, but there's also mistakes there. So typically in recruitment, I've seen it where unfortunately um, people lose uh, sorry directors could lose staff because they're not being diverse or inclusive. Or sometimes mm-hmm. a lot of the times I think that mistakes happen in. Um, architecture practices, not because they're aware of it and they ignore it. Half the time, it's just running with the ball attitude. And then at the end, they go, oh, man, I can't. Yeah, because everyone's minds is dealing with these massive projects and all this stuff. And then, you know, diversity inclusive is then perceived as like, well, yeah, that's nice. But if we don't get this project over the line and we don't get this out the door, then, um, you know, the business is going to fail. But then what I see happens is that people lose talented people because of these issues like we're talking about. And the quicker I can remind practices that actually hiring a recruitment consultant, which is what I used to do, is incredibly expensive and and therefore actually fixing and prioritizing issues such as um, diversity, inclusivity and well-being and the benefits of your staff is a small price to pay compared to replacing someone. Do you know so, what's the actual
1: price? I'm sure you've, you've uh, heard do, that. Do you have it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's something I, I, oh. I've, I've gotten myself a lot of numbers be, be, behind everything that I'm Ooh. saying because people yeah. uh, often attack it on its emotional side, that we've yes. and inclusion. And I think it's important to put it out there. because. We need to wake up. we need to be a little bit more emotional about some of the things that we're doing. That's part of being more diverse in business is bringing a slightly yes. different side but um that's a stat I've gotten from I have a reference for it. I know where I've written down the reference, but yeah. uh, to replace a member of staff whose salary is below hundred k, it costs about an average uh twenty two thousand
0: just I to replace can, i can see I can see that. Yeah, especially design. a fifty above. I yeah, and and so for anyone here that thinks that's mad, and Katty is mad. So I've done recruitment for seven years. Let me break it down because I could say that it's expensive to replace someone anecdotally, but I'm going to take your stats. So thank you for that. That's amazing. Uh, because let's go through it, right? So say now catch your leaves, okay, and I need to replace them. For for argument's sake, I know you are di- you are a director right now at you know. Your own business, okay. I know you're a director at uh, Blush Cloud, but let's pretend you're an architectural technician again, and you're um you're at my company, so you're at Stephen Drew Associates or whatever, and then you just handed your notice in, and you're going, you know what? There's something else popped up, and re- and maybe you don't tell me, and this is what this is what pops up because it takes a brave person to say, look, I'm leaving because I don't think you're inclusive or diverse, and hats off to anyone that does that. But sometimes maybe I hear something like. you know what this other company's approached me and it's an opportunity that never miss and they seem like my kind of people right Mm. so let's let's forget the changing and all that stuff for a second so to replace you yeah so you're going to be on your month one month's notice so i've got to look for someone so immediately and let's pretend you're on fifty thousand pounds so immediately to get you for a recruiter is going to cost between seven and a half to ten thousand pounds to find you then I've got to advertise the role in a few places. So that could cost money. I've also got to interview your replacement, which is, takes my time. And I'm a director on like 120 grand of Stephen Drew Associates. So, you know, an interview is probably like three, 400 pounds of my time. Then I got to interview five people or so to so have a good spread of a choice. Then there's going to be a second stage interview. And then you make an offer to someone and it's declined <laughs> because it happens in life. So yeah, it it can be really expensive, it really, really, really expensive. And so that's it, that's
1: up to hundred k if you if you're looking to replace anyone higher paid than that, the the graph goes exponentially up. It's yeah, it much will, much more expensive. It, to it replace will do. Anyone else. Yeah. And
0: also we've seen your highest as well because I'm I'm doing that now and I have done in the past. So you're looking at people with three months notice, so it's you know it's kind of um it's tricky for a business. So. It does make sense to sort this stuff out now. And that's for any practices that are listening. um, You should be looking at this because you have to stay ahead of the curve. And I do think that the practices that embrace these changes, uh, there's many reasons to do it. There's a myriad, but the one that is close to me and I can anecdotally say with confidence is that you will attract the best talent and you will get the best people. And then you'll do the best architecture, and they'll all go round and round and round because you get the awards and the practice goes up and up and up. Um, okay, so tell us. So, I know Stephen Drew Associates, I realize, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I need to sort it all out. <laughs> so, so, so if before, there was not many places who would tackle what you're doing head on. So, Blush Cloud is one of the few that I can think of, if that I can't actually think of another. Um, especially in architecture but you don't just do architecture does it apply to
1: all kind of companies then Mm, i I, i'm open to all sectors i I work with with different clients um i've recently um, branched out in the higher education uh, sector and i've gotten myself as a preferred supplier to the university of portsmouth to do that um kind of coaching and facilitating services good
0: the university as well aren't they very
1: very exciting there's there's a lot of conversations to be had there as well obviously I, i work with um with people within the industry because this is where my contacts lie and this is this is the yeah. easiest start I work um also with um an organization called my g work which may be something that you may be interested in i
0: familiar isn't no. it like two twins that set it up or something yep yep, yep. i've not met though i've the the famous twins though <laughs> yeah A few yeah. of them it's a bit like the facebook twins in my head i'm sure they're lovely guys but you know i'm just like you just don't get many twins do you around, yeah so. i know
1: i know yeah yeah um i work with a well-being agency as well and i'm very open to all sorts of um, different businesses within the construction industry we also have built by us um who was found by dana walker and they Ah. do some somewhat similar work as well and she is just an amazing 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 person and the way she speaks She is, yeah. I, I can listen to her for ages. I I used to mentor with them uh, in the Fluid program, so I, so I know her well. And she's just astounding woman. But um, I'm a big believer that first of all, the tide rises all the ships. I have no, uh, I don't believe in competition in that way. And I connect to organizations like that uh, very o- openly and happily. And um, because I really think that there's too much work. <laughs> for sure, for all of us. And it is the sort of work that the better one of us is doing, all of us will be doing better. Um, there's um, Utopia as well, which is kind of a wider organization, and they kind of have a, um, a slant towards advertising as well, and they're really great. And they also build their own network with other consultants. And it's a generally quite open and, and communicative community within diversity mm. and inclusion warriors if uh, i can call us this way
0: <laughs> yes your girlfriend i love i love that and so i think we'll, we'll touch upon your roots in a second i have one question to segue into it mm-hmm. and 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 that's because there's an element of what you do is it's amazing that you speak into people maybe on one-to-ones and you go into businesses as well and it makes sense because you come from architecture it seems to me that you understand it helps understanding that world so you can probably make while you can work with a lot of companies, what your background is going to be immensely valuable to architecture. Kind of mm-hmm. like when I went into recruitment, it helps that you work in architecture because you know what you're talking about and, you know, you can kind of see where you need to fix things. Yeah. But before we talk about your background, so you're a coach. Now, I do a bit of coaching, so you can give me a bit of uh, advice online because okay. I've done mm-hmm. about, I've started last month. Oh, my gosh, I got two things. Oh, well, I said last month. But this is in September. So I started four months ago. There you go. Have a day. No one will notice. I don't and... know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, I was just saying because we're going to no, launch I'm this in September. Oh. Keep going. Keep oh, going. no. I, I did it again. I <laughs> ruined it. I ruined it. So I had quite a few people. And then this month's been less busy. And that will that'll, 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 that'll change, I'm sure. Hmm. Right. Coaching Academy. You've been to the Coaching Academy. Was that useful? Because there's part of me, and you tell it like it is. I'm like, I've got my degree in architecture. I got my diploma. I've done recruitment. I've done all this stuff. Maybe it, may it would be really useful, but I've also done a lot of studying in my time. So, was the coaching academy useful? And does that help the way you, you, you teach and mentor and coach people?
1: So, the first mentoring training that I had was way back in 2009. Um so and and I've been involved in mentoring throughout. Um I've mentored with the Stephen Lawrence Trust, which is now called Blueprint for All. Yeah, I
0: know Neil. Yeah, Yeah, Neil Onions.
1: Yeah, yeah. I work with him. Um and then then built by us and then with Women in BIM, I created the the Women in BIM mentoring scheme, which went global. We had the first round we had applicants from 23 different countries and now they're running that program for a second year which is amazing because you know it the the work has paid off in a way yeah yeah, yeah. um so i've i've had this background and and especially when you're bim consulting you can't approach someone who's been spent a decade in education and go to them and say yo listen i'm gonna tell you how to do your job in a new way it's not gonna. It's just not gonna <laughs> work. Uh, um, doesn't matter what kind of genius tool you have, or method, or principle. Doesn't matter. You need to. You need a different approach. You need to understand what these people need, and then try and figure out how to give them, give it to them, and then fit in with the ISO <laughs> or whatever right. is required at the time. So I always had this kind of approach, and when I started studying with the coaching academy, it started giving me a body. It started giving me Mm. um, slightly better vocabulary and reasoning for doing the things that I was doing. There were some new techniques that I really grabbed onto immediately, but it was a a double process for me. And that course that I did was quite long. And the Coaching Academy is the largest coaching qualification body in the world. That was one of oh, the reasons. Oh, is least. it? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. because yeah, yeah. I've seen a few of them. So this is why I know I, I know we're, we're live in an episode, but I'm also writing down notes here of which one to go I'll, to. I'll this give is the you biggest. specific
1: recommendations. Okay, thank um, you. So you can take a lot of that course, but because it is the largest, they're, they're big groups of people. And sometimes right. that could feel... To me, bit, I, yeah, I struggled a, a little bit with that. I've signed up for um, two other courses with them. So with the with the base, which is coaching, coaching, um, mm. we were about 180 people on on calls. And then I'm doing executive coaching, which is a specification, w- which we get like 20 something, 30 people, and it's entirely different experience. Right. But I have done, and I think this is what's going to really be helpful to you. I've done a specifically career coaching with the uh, career counseling service. Um, oh, yeah. And, there we go. Yep, You speak music to my ears. Yep, yep, yep. And that course was five days in total, but five full days across, I think, two or three weeks. And right. it, we were 12 people in the group. I know those people now. I'm friends with some of them. You know, oh, it was... Cool excellent and i really really appreciated that and maybe for what you're doing this could be much more appropriate and then i can recommend you a couple of books so instead of doing Mm. a full year the way i did with that course um you you can do these five days and i'll tell you two books to read and you're covered i think i
0: love it you hit it your life but you know what i'm i'm okay with saying i do not know everything i am still learning and that, that would be useful because I've got a lot of practical experience to offer people. I'm sure what you learn from this and the way you do your business now is that it's just sometimes know how to deliver that. And also people, we're all different and certain people respond in different ways. And I've got to learn on that therapy way. So I had a, I had a really good chat with Karen and so Karen is on a podcast episode, which will be out before. Yeah. Yeah. it, It will be out before this one. You know of course um, yeah 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 mm-hmm. of course you know mm-hmm. and and she gave me some great advice as well because part of what you're doing as well i'm sure is sometimes when i i when i do a session you're almost dying to tell people the answers like oh, you gotta do this is no, that no, 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 you no, can't no. do that no, no, you gotta no. let people learn mm-hmm. they gotta go along the journey and you gotta and I and i and that's what i've done in recruitment is that i've learned that a there's a few types of approaches to recruitment. I had an incredibly low dropout rate because it's about listening to what the people want and then finding them those opportunities and letting them decide they want to go there rather than the old idea of recruiters, which are just like, come on, you want to do people. it. Then, it, Yeah, it's super, super sales because don't work. And then I don't want to be the reputation of, oh my gosh, that Steve guy did this and that. Whereas actually this approach, while you could make less money than a recruiter with no values. To start with. To start, exactly. You get much more value because in the industry, your reputation is not tarnished and people trust you. And that is worth much more, which is hopefully what I've done. Um, yeah, you know, that, it's like that, I do care about architecture. So this is what I've learned in coaching. This is, this is now how do I translate? What I've learned in recruit, you know, that's seven years of getting people to come to it and do that. And it's difficult. So I imagine that when you, and we don't want to know specifics about clients or anything like that. I imagine you've almost got to have this approach with the companies that you meet, haven't you? You've got to understand their perspectives, see what they've their successes and failures, and try to like inception that style. Put these little ideas in their heads so that they come to the um, conclusion.
1: Well, that's uh, certainly something that I could do. Um, right. But also, uh, to me, the best uh, outcome is when it is an open discussion and people don't feel like I've put something in their head. <laughs> yes. That's that's that kind of kind of goes into maybe hidden style sales techniques as well. And and that's not. No, so you-
0: yeah. So you need you need the stats like you did now and you've mm. got to offer value. So what's your what's your general approach when you uh, So say now you were speaking to me and I'm running a Stephen Drew practice as well. Would it be a combination of you evaluate the company and then you sit down with me and you listen to what's going wrong or right and then you offer suggestions? And is that middle level? Is that more?
1: Well, first and foremost, what I do is I I need to know what you want. I need to know what your values are. And where do you want to go? I need to understand that they're um, happening throughout. Yeah, You know, if, if there's a team of people who are responsible for this decision making, I need to see if they're on the same page with those things and figure out what they want. Mm. what are they aiming with this you know is it a tick box do they want to see increase in something specific i try to speak their language that's that's important and it needs to be adaptable so Uh. i I worked with the digital construction company and uh with them i was very strict about how um did some self-assessment before that on the team i worked with and after that and really translated things into numbers because they do information management. They want to see numbers and I try to bring that forward to them in that way. If you're an organization that wants to see an influx of certain type of people, then we figure out what the message is in there and then I help you Mm. understand what kind of things will lead you to the things that you want. Um, Mm. but it is highly, highly individual. And that's, that's where coaching comes in. And that's why I really got into coaching and I, I enjoyed that course. Like, that full year of, of getting into things and reading the right books and practicing as well. And I've, I've done a lot of um, a lot of hours of one on one coaching purely to sharpen my tool, uh, because right. ultimately I want to work with organizations. But this is it's very valuable when you kind of really shape things out one on one and reading more and more about coaching led organizations They really connect for me to the principles I've read about um, in Native American governing and social justice organizing. Wow. And this really... There's a soundboard sound for you. Uh, Oh, 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 I've got... No, I've got...
0: Okay, sure, it's sure. a magic wand, but we'll take it, right? I like, like the snap of moment. fingers,
1: but it re- it really rang a loud, loud bell for me that there is something very valuable there because it is about arriving to this decision that everybody is happy with, genuinely, and that is possible when there is sufficient discussion for it. And sometimes it can feel tiring, especially at the start when you feel like you're mm-hmm. just talking too much and explaining yourself too much. But again, this is sustainable development because once you um, practice practice enough this kind of working, this kind of decision-making... it becomes easier and easier and then you're not losing all that time dealing with problems that are caused by the Mm -hmm. fact that half of the staff or half of the leadership were not happy with this anyway to start with so because of that i just kind of delved into coaching and i was like this is this is this is the thing that's going to bring it together because if you talk to people about diversity especially if you talk to people who are outside of these marginalized groups which will often be the people that have the money are making the decisions in these companies. They're already outside of the conversation. You know, Mm. they're already excluded from this conversation. And and that's not the case because we all know that sexism is a man problem. Racism is a white people problem, you know, and everybody needs to be part of that change. And everybody needs to understand how how much benefit there is to them about this, because there Mm.
0: Oh, well said, well said. Oh, gosh, I was a bit late there with the clap because I was thinking about what you were saying. <laughs> it's true. There's so much to do, and it's an exciting time. So I, 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 am, I was listening and soaking it in. I know this is a podcast, but this is also like, a, it's almost turned into, um, I'm getting tips off you at the moment from no right a little part of the business. So but I, I love what you said because working with a company is amazing. You're right, though. I quite, because the coaching bit on the architecture social, is a side part and it's great because, okay, there's a little bit of revenue there. That's not the main thing though, because it's actually about helping people out with their problems. And so when I got my first good Google review, uh, there's no other bad one. It's just one good one. So <laughs> hopefully, there'll, hopefully there'll be more, <laughs> something bad there. I had one good one and several bad ones. No, I had a good one and that meant a lot because I just said, oh, you know, hope it's gone well. And, and I really helped with the job search. what i was more proud of is that i didn't insert my opinions everywhere i listened so you'd be happy with that so i did all right there yeah yeah that's hard isn't it when you're not used to it and it was within an hour session and so trying to get something out of an hour is you have to be really focused don't you especially because if it's not going to be a few sessions then i think you've got to be really focused and i had another chat with an chap who messaged me the other day and he said that he would like to switch careers and so I had to be really transparent as well because it would be amazing right now to so because I'm starting um, my coaching business it, you know and you know revenue is important because you have to keep the lights on But at the same time I had to be really honest and I was like do you know what I, I do to switch from architecture we're not going to accomplish that in one hour that's a big that's a big gig as you know, and we'll touch upon it in a bit in this, is that to, to go through the processes of actually moving away from architecture is a lot. And, and the first step is like, do you really want to move away from architecture? Or do you re- is there something wrong with your current job or uh, what you're not getting? And there's so many factors. And I kind of had to be really true and honest and say, look, I think that that's a bigger project. And you, know, you really need to think about if we, we sign on for that. And that's a bigger, bigger commitment because in an hour, I think you can really bash out a CV or portfolio or talk about directions in terms of where you're going. But there's only so much you can achieve based upon the time. Also, the, uh, the kind of the last question that just popped up in my brain before we talk about how you got into this and I want to know, I'd love to know that story is that. Commitment, time, energy, and you have to be really transparent about it. So half of coaching as well is also learning if people actually really want to do what they're saying, and that's very different, isn't it?
1: Oh, yes.
0: And that's that's a beauty. I was trying to, I was trying to word it in my head because I've, I've got a good detector over the years in recruitment who is really looking who is really in a bit of an issue or who is window shopping or who is not, who maybe is just, like, I don't know, not committed. And and I think with what I've learned with coaching, there's a similar thing. And actually, the benefits of coaching are for the person, but they have to put the work in. So uh, there's two things in coaching is that if you come to me to prove that your way of doing it is right, I don't want to hear that. Or oh, oh, let me... You're not going to convince me if it's right, if it's wrong, if it's right, Doesn't and matter. even if I, yeah, but yeah. it's it's it requires a person to actually want to change and want to go the mile and to see the benefits. For sure, and so I imagine you get that a lot, and so hope. But what I find though is most people do want to change.
1: People who reach what- out for it, they, they really do. Um, but there's a lot of people who want to fix as well. And whenever I need to explain what coaching is, um, it's, it's easier to kind of explain it all within the context of mentoring and consulting. Yeah. Um, because with consulting, you come in and you give advice, you know, there's a gap in whatever this person's knowledge or experiences is, and they need to fill it and you have the expertise, you come assess the situation, give them advice and you're paid for it. Right. And you carry the responsibility that this advice manifests in the desired results. Right. In the middle of this gradient is mentoring, which is often voluntary and charitable, which is great, but it's a 50, 50, um, relationship, right? There's a 50, 50 responsibility about what's going on. And within mentoring as well, it's not great to give direct advice, really no, people don't respond well when you tell them what to do nobody really does nobody really sticks with it it's not a sustainable thing it's about sharing yeah. an experience but you're still oh, sharing know. an experience and yeah. um you know you, you have a similar direction or something like that and then you have coaching where the entirety of the responsibility lies within the coachee for the results so you start with a much more directive intervention you go to the mentoring which is kind of 50-50 and then you go to an entirely non-directive intervention which is coaching where the coach doesn't need to have any similar uh, professional experience because they're there to ask the correct questions they're there to move the person forward but that person needs to want to make that change they need to um, be be on board with being challenged
0: Mm. well look I think it's amazing. And look, we could talk about that for a long time. And so we, I'm sure we will pick mm. that up again. But in fairness to the virtual listeners out there as well, because it's not fair that I learn all my stuff on coaching <laughs> on, on the podcast. Uh, what I would, uh, look, that's all impressive. And, and I think it's really useful and valuable information to share. But I touched upon that a little bit about the story of someone approaching me to switch careers mm. now i did it moving from a part two to a recruitment consultant mm. not quite the same thing as you i had a lot of people saying what are you doing are you crazy imagine you had one or two people going like that why are you giving up your architecture career yeah two- like, so we've we both had a similarity on that front and look that's inspirational because i meet a lot of people that want to change careers in architecture But let's talk about that journey a little bit. So tell us about, so I'm familiar with you from the amazing stuff that you did in BIM. But do you want to tell us about, you mentioned you were at HKS as an architectural Mm -hmm. technician. So -hmm. you studied architecture and the goal was to become an architectural technician, bimper, you know, guru.
1: The goal right? was to become an architect, to, to qualify uh, as an architect, but um, touching upon um, diversity with economic background, um, doing my uh, first degree of architecture, I was working two part-time jobs. Anyone who's done a degree in architecture knows how much time the degree requires. Now imagine having oh, yeah. two part-time jobs on top of that. I mm. was shredded in the end. My yeah. mental health was in the gutter. I, like, it was extremely hard. Um, because I mean, I've genuinely, I, I, used to, I used to run tables in Wagamama in university, and I would spend the whole weekend, 12-hour shifts, running tables, getting back home on a Sunday evening at 1 o'clock and starting to work for my studio the next day through the night.
0: Yeah. I it used was, to work in Waitrose as well. I get it. I was, I was stacking shelves over there, but I had one part-time job. I didn't have two. That's a lot that's a lot
1: through the week i was doing mentoring and stuff with the educational liaison with the university and i was working with kids and um, young people and stuff like that which is which is really what's it's kind of the seed what's brought me here as well and i Mm. have a lot of gratitude for all of my experiences but it was really hard and when i i started working as an architectural assistant first um and after the first year, as everyone I applied, I got into Greenwich University and I sat That's down and I put the numbers on a piece of paper and I just couldn't put myself through this again. I just looked at it and, and I knew that I wasn't I wasn't gonna be able to make ends meet, or if I did, I was gonna completely bust my mental health to to yeah. a degree that wouldn't wouldn't be acceptable. So I, I stayed I, I initially I pushed it one more year to kind of figure out what to do, because I I went in to architecture with a lot of passion and I, I love the idea of it. Um, I was extremely lucky with the first practice I worked with Murphy Phillips Architects. They were genuine teaching practice, and I learned so much from them. Hmm. And even at the end of the second year working with them, when I decided that I'm gonna I'm gonna move into BIM uh, more because. It, because i I was really good at it and because it was more profitable they knew i was going to leave and they let me run a small refurbishment project just to get more of that experience they were they were amazing i'm still in contact with a lot of the people there Um, and it was healthcare architecture and then i moved on to ending more healthcare with hks and healthcare is very data driven um, for anyone that works in, in healthcare they know that the NHS comes to you with a database before you even start any design
0: what's it called a codebook or something isn't it
1: there's various code book is one of them um, a, not ABC ADC there was another abbreviation I used to teach that one and I've forgotten it <laughs> what was the name of that um, but they came in with that they come in with that before any design has started so it's a fertile soil for a good digital asset to come out of that and also they have a a very significant interest that you give them a good digital mm. asset because they run the buildings and it's very sensitive how you run them oh. um it, it's very different I, i've had a spell within uh, residential um architecture and it's nothing like that nothing no any... it's
0: very different nope. it's very different
1: so that's that's the reason i kind of got into bim as well is because i was mm-hmm. so familiar with that and and it was something very um intuitive to me. I I got it and it kind of worked. And then with, with HKS, again, I was very lucky with the team because I I just had my BA, but, um, I've always been a proactive person. I have the experience. I step in, I take responsibility. I'm, it's just me. It's a personality kind of thing. And quite quickly I started running. I was doing, Several major construction packages on the Midland Metropolitan Hospital. Um, and just because there was the space and people trusted me, I, I went in and did the work. Yeah. And that was what pushed me into looking more into dynamo and visual programming. And I trained myself on all of that and just continued to push with it. Yeah. And then the opportunity with Archilizer came about uh, with uh, Dejan Nenov. Uh, I met-
0: know him. I met him years ago. He's very um, smart very smart he's brilliant
1: Uh, he is really really great
0: yeah i met him at the cusp of i think he was in between roles at the time and uh, i know this is not the main topic today so i'll touch on it lately Mm -hmm. but many years ago i think especially 2015 there wasn't many people that could use bim or revit and so it was kind of this new exciting phase and it was really hard to find people who knew what they're talking about and i think i think in the end he joined um Oh gosh, he joined the chap from Grimshaw, who now runs design at what the new company, with Design Tech, as and David Flynn. Is that right? He worked with David so, Flynn.
1: So no, first they uh, they were together at Design Tech, and yeah. then um, Dejan stepped away to do his own thing, and then Design yeah. Tech. Uh, got bought by in store and now there's, yeah, that's, a the, there's, that's a whole different that's a whole that's different another yeah
0: but it's but i guess what i'm trying to say even with that story there with bim there's so exciting but then there's also it's 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 a totally different crazy exciting world in that you're talking about companies bought out and change and there's an element with it especially now i think it's more like startup companies because you have this new exciting world and it's less Like in sometimes in architecture, there is the way that people have been Mm -hmm. doing it for a while. But with all these emergent BIM technologies, you got four D and you know all this stuff. It's it's a new world, isn't it? There altogether.
1: A hundred percent, and the the velocity with which my career developed after I properly rebranded as a BIM consultant has nothing to do with within architecture because i got a, v- a lot of very interesting and valuable experience and people would refer to me as someone with certain power in the meetings but it was never reflected with my salary or the name of my position yes. because architecture is so there's hierarchies.
0: yeah because you're a part two or you're or whatever you're not qualified so you you know
1: a lot of gates with a lot of very muscular gatekeepers and you even if you're doing the work very often you just can't get there and there's nothing here to disrespect Mm -hmm. the people who have gone through the educational process but we have been discussing the educational process as well for a while and i'm so excited to see that there's architectural apprenticeships now because the way it's set up it's extremely elitist and i had a i had a great time studying architecture and it's fun it's fun it definitely develops certain amount um certain part of your brain that you won't necessarily tap into with the work that you're doing, but if you imagine the architectural process, the stuff that we do in school exists over here. Let's be real, you know, and all the rest of it you learn on the job, and to to have to invest the amount of money and time to stay and continue to exercise this part, it just doesn't doesn't necessarily work. But anyway, yeah. with with BIM, there's just so much more space to to grow and deanne was so amazingly wonderful to me and he kind of he opened up and he offered me the the position and i was essentially his second pilot and it really empowered me to just get on with things and go out I'm there concerned. and do things and yeah within the first year i was already speaking at most of the construction i um, remember
0: i remember i was, was cuz you see bits pop up online everywhere don't you and yeah. uh, I think that's amazing. And then public speaking is, is the more you do it, yeah, I enjoy it as well. I'm not far from an expert. I do enjoy it, but it takes a lot of guts to do because at first I was saying it to some of the other day, it's like at first when you do it, I get really, I used to get very nervous and you do live streams, just so nervous, but Mm. it's such a great skill. So did you enjoy all the public speaking then?
1: A lot. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It's, um, It's something I never had uh, an opportunity to exercise before. I come from a very academic education. We never had like plays in school or things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just found myself really, ah, this is... Because you get the butterflies, but like once you're in front of people and you kind of see that what you're saying has an effect here and here and here and here, it's really really great and kind of keeps you going. And within digital construction specifically... I think I I really hit the the, the sweet spot because there's a lot of experts. There's a lot of really amazing people that do things far, far more complex than I've ever even set my sight on. Yeah. But there is this approachability that's missing very often. Um, Mm. There's often, you know, this kind of Someone who looks like this and is trying to tell you something and just really ends up making you feel a little bit stupid. because
0: I know, and reading off a piece of paper.
1: And I'm not this. I've never been this. I no. genuinely believe that, especially when you're addressing construction professionals, predominantly architects, these are smart people. When you look at them and you tell them, I trust you to get this because I know you're great. If you have this at the back of your mind, even if you don't verbalize it, but if you approach it with that kind of attitude, they do they really do and it has a brilliant impact and it's mm, really fun well,
0: well there you go that was some good uh, there were some good little tips in there for anyone public spe- um, speaking and it's i think it develops over time doesn't it the more you do it the better you get and mm-hmm. maybe that's how like already our conversation i feel is flowing natural but there's this ability i think over time that we can all learn that you have to trust yourself first of all and the other thing is, is that I tell people never to do a script. Just know one or two key things which are important hmm. and you can kind of get there in conversation. And I think that's a lot better than reading a page on, that's printed out in front of you.
1: So you, you definitely don't want to read anything, for sure. But I, for example, I always write it out exactly as I imagine saying it. Ah. Mainly because I think one of, the, one of the key places where you, where you feel safe with a speak, because this—that's the thing—is being in a public speaking position is a position of power, right? You're standing yeah. in front of people, and what you're saying is, I, I'm important enough for you to listen to me. So mm. an audience is enjoying that if you keep them safe, if you, with your behavior and with the things that you're saying, you're conducting the situation, so they just need to listen. But if you're insecure or uh, you're not sure what's coming next, and maybe you're not sure Always how they're picked reacting. picked up. they start feeling responsible for that and that's not what they signed up for and Ah. that's not enjoyable and one of the places where you can really catch this is with your transitions when you're moving from one point to another and that's why i write everything out so once i have seen what i want to say as a full completed body i i don't ever read it i have i have here next to me these are some of the courses that i i teach and I have it in cards, and I have the cards in my hands. Wow, you're so organized. Yeah, they're always next to me over here, and I have some important points like marked up if I feel like um, I need to know where the places are. To just, if if you're teaching something that's four hours, you need a little bit of a support in some of them.
0: Okay, that's but fair. That's fair. It's yeah. more it's like- just
1: to my brain knows that there is a connection. My brain has seen it once, so I'll always be able to get back to it. If that makes sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And you know what? I'm almost laughing in my head because this is what I need. Because I am a person that I've got no lists. I start something, and I got I've got one to do list. Okay. I and sometimes I drive people mad because. Um. So Sana Bassam, who I love to death, and I've done lots of projects with her. She's so organized, and every time I look at the stuff she's done, I'm just like, oh, I've really got to sort myself <laughs> out. So I don't do any of that. And I think that I would benefit from some structure. But everyone's different, aren't they? So I kind of, what I've learned is that I, it's good to have some, and then I free flow. And I think for very structured people, sometimes I, I try to encourage them to go, ooh, just a little bit unstructured, you know? and mm. Like, let yourself go a little bit. So, okay. Someone, so, look, just to
1: tell you one fun quote, which I think you're going to appreciate. One of the yeah. person uh, people that I've learned the most from, in terms of public speaking, pe- speaking deborah francis white um she's an amazing podcaster guilty feminist awesome she says just start a sentence and trust your brain to finish it
0: oh i like that i like that a lot although and you're right what the other thing that i've learned as well though is that it has today like i came into this podcast with an open mind and then that trust in it will be okay and it free flows I've, what I've done, there's a few episodes and no one's commented on, but we can all be our worst critic as well. And so I've listened back to a few, and what I notice is, is that when I'm more stressed in my personal life or my professional life, my questions are more muddled in the podcast. And it's not many people, have, no one's commented to me yet. What I will do, though, is when I'm stressed or all this stuff, is that they will be a little, it will take longer to get to that journey because in my brain... While I'm saying them, I'm kind of working out that journey. I'm not trusting where the sentence will go. And yeah, it's a bit of a shame because, and there you go, you've got all this to come with your podcast as well. <laughs> um, but I I try not to be too harsh on myself. And the other thing that I've learned personally is that uh, I've seen one or two of my friends in the past, especially when I was studying. And there's a good story I always remember, and, and it is, and then, oh gosh i can't say his name here but i'll call you jeff so jeff is a dear friend of mine and he was a perfectionist and i was he had a much stronger uh, project than me in part two but because he was a perfectionist he didn't finish it and he had a lower grade than me mm-hmm. whereas i unperfected or whatever i got a 2-1 and what i try to do with the architecture social is because lots of the stuff that i've done it's not perfect or you know it's like you run a website and it's like I mean, I'm proud of my website, but there's always stuff to do. When you were talking earlier about high contrast, I was like, at first I was going to be like, ah, you're going to love my website because it's all black and white. But then I was like, oh, damn, you mentioned that um, that doesn't work. And so there's always stuff to do. There's always stuff to do. But the thing I do now is that I kind of have to discipline myself not to look. I learn a few lessons not to look back and then just improve the upcoming content. So in this podcast, I've tried to have a nice sleep. I've tried to be more relaxed and then hopefully the quality of the questions will be higher. And it's like that ongoing process. But how do you feel about that? And that kind of perfectionism uh trait that sometimes architects have and this need to kind of it to be perfect. What do you encourage in your coaching sessions?
1: Woof. Um I like to say done is better than perfect. Yeah, and to too. be honest, to be honest, I learned I I got myself out of perfectionism, um, in architecture school and in the very start of my, uh, my first architectural assistant job, because uh-huh. I came, I'm naturally, uh, you know, as a young person, as a teenager, I was very, like, I was a straight A student. I was just, everything had to be perfect and everything had to be done, but it was a very different environment because as I said, very academic education, it was very much about, Uh, presenting out the same facts you've heard which Mm. just happened to be something i was good at it doesn't necessarily measure i don't think intelligence i just fitted that particular mold of education and that's also a question of inclusivity that we don't have to go into right now but um Mm. with with the projects that we had to do in architecture school just like the first few times, just going in for that ideal version of things and like how I want them to be, and then just falling on my butt excuse my French and and <laughs> realizing that it's impossible to do things like that in the time that I have. Little by little, I started working backwards on things and and mm. just aiming for a finished product. And yeah, it's definitely something that I mean. Very often, people who seek coaching. they want to improve and that comes from a desire to be great um and that's part of the the other thing about coaching is it's all about goals but it's not about goals at all (laughs) because you start off with um with fleshing out the goal that's very very fundamental as as you said you know you need to understand what these people want but it's also about the really the the biggest value is the learning journey Mm -hmm. learning how to learn from yourself Mm because if you set yourself a super unrealistic goal as a coach when someone starts telling you 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 can't tell them this is bonkers you can't do this because first of all it's mean (laughs) it's not very nice but also how do you know because you don't you'll never know everything that's happening with this person and secondly Mm -hmm. they need to they need to walk that journey to then be able to look back and, and see where were the points of learning for them and that is the biggest treasure. Because if you do that for once or twice with someone, walk, walk that path with them, then they don't need you. Ultimately, that's what coaching is about this is not therapy it's not counseling it's not about digesting things and, and kind of sitting with stuff it's about learning Result. how to learn from yourself and oh, this sorry
0: is- i kind of jumped in i gotta stop doing that learning okay say that
1: again because i cut you
0: off it's learning it's, all right. it's learning, learning how to
1: learn from yourself and you can right. do that and then it, it it gets back to that sustainable growth
0: mm, very good well wow, i tell you what do you know what? Because we're approaching like the hour ten mark, and I could sp- I could be here forever. I could be here forever. We'll have to. G- what I think is that diversity, inclusivity, all the stuff you do—it's so vast. Maybe what I would say, live here, is I'd love to put out on an open invite because I do some live streams as well on LinkedIn and 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 YouTube. But maybe if there's a particular topic that you have in mind, we can crash it out together. What I was going to say though is that. You should have your podcast around the time that this airs again, which is amazing. Mm. And and I encourage people to listen to that. But before we end, I try to, and it's a bit of fun, now ask if you have any questions for me. It shouldn't all be one way, isn't it? Yeah. It like, can be one or a few, we can go as long as you want. Do you have any <laughs> Absolutely. questions?
1: Absolutely. So the architecture social has been your baby. Right. Yeah. What yeah. I, what makes you the happiest about it?
0: Oh, man. Um, it's kind of, it's not even a burden, it's, but it is it is a blessing. I enjoy it. I kind of, to me, there's a lot of, all the ideas that I've seen over the years, it's kind of like my, it's like, it is my project. And so, bizarrely, the bit, while I don't do architecture anymore, there's an element of design in it. And I'm always trying to design something around the community and, where I can find value and now my um, my current challenge being really transparent is how to monetize it in a self-sufficient way that I can keep it going because currently I'm paying the costs for the website which is quite substantial it's, um it's adding up and so it's but it's about doing that in a way which doesn't change the values and doesn't have any um, shadow on what I'm doing so what I mean is if for instance I, I don't want to be bought out you know we talked about the the, the topic earlier about these mm. you know, startup companies and they join a big company and suddenly mm-hmm. they change stuff that ain't gonna work for me and I think that the reason the social works is because hopefully that there's this transparent nature of helping people out and there's this free flow Voice, which is developing, and people can influence it. And I think that I'm I'm really careful about keeping that because without that, there's no point. And the baseline of when I'm designing the stuff is that I try to design something that I would find useful as a part one and part two. But I'm often making mistakes, Katya. I'm often making mistakes. And actually, right now is that so the the community part of it. So there's like an online forum with super buoyant and supportive. And, and that was used massively, especially during the lockdown. People were on it all every day. People were like three to 400 people were logging in every day. I think it's like 4,000 users now. Yeah, which is cool. And less people are on the forum right now. But bizarrely, the website traffic is through the roof. So people read articles on there. And people, a lot of people show into the live stream. And so the YouTube channel is growing as well. So my question is... My question to myself on my brief is to make it constantly relevant and useful and hopefully have a positive impact. And that's the challenge right now is I have to make it self-sustainable so that I it can keep doing that. But doing it in a way which is not, um, yeah, it doesn't alter it. So if Autodesk out there, I want to yeah. put a little banner somewhere, I'll let you do it. Mm-hmm. But if someone wanted to, for instance, change it, uh, fundamentally i wouldn't do that mm. and i think like the, the 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 initial goal where it came from was that i uh, thought it would be great to help part ones and part twos find jobs during the pandemic because i used to be a part two and it sucked uh, looking for a job during the 2009 economic crisis which is when i left uh when i left university And now it's kind of evolved because that's one problem I have is that I like to do everything. So I was like, oh, we'll do a podcast. We'll do this and that. So hopefully there's like a method in the madness. But that is my current challenge. Hopefully I answer that in a roundabout way. Basically, I have lots going on. (laughs) Can Um, I ask a
1: follow-up question? Please, as many as you want. I'm just going into my coaching shoes. So what I'm cool. hearing you say is that you're looking forward to the next step of the architecture social, and that mm-hmm. has to do with monetizing. But what's fundamental for you is that it remains relevant and useful. Yeah. So Correct. who are you having conversations with to ensure that it remains relevant and useful?
0: The community. Mm-hmm. The users. Mm-hmm. That's the majority of them mm-hmm. right now.
1: How are you recording the results of these conversations?
0: Polls and trans. I've got messages, but not much other. Maybe I need to do more.
1: I mean, it sounds like you're already on the path because you, you identified what's important to you. And you are asking the people who are relevant and you're collecting Mm. that information. It's not just that you're chin wagging about oh what's relevant or useful. You're recording it, you're looking at it. It's a process. You need you need a second to compile that that new information and it's gonna open up to you.
0: Yeah, and I think the other bit is asking, trying to get I try to ask all the time employers how they see it as well, because it's it's two it's a two way thing. If you wanna help people get jobs, there's the side which is the job seeker but then there's the employer and so i think that one and more and more of that is going to be useful because mm-hmm. the more and more you understand the architectural practice and the business and the appeal then the better what are their stress points what are they looking for where the value of the social could come so mm-hmm. for example having access to them uh to students and architects who are looking is fantastic but then it goes the other way it's reciprocal so how do you attract the best people? And then that's why it kind of feeds into a little bit about what we're talking about, because, um, you know, at some points as well, especially right now, before in the pandemic, there was no, there was less jobs out. So an employer had a choice of lots of people. Whereas right now, the market shifted. So talented people have a lot of choice. So I think the big question for employers is, how do you showcase your awesome strengths so that people see it? But they can't, you kind of, A, have to have the strengths there to showcase. You have to be diverse. You have to be inclusive. And then how do you speak about that? Because that's another challenge as well, because you've got, so it, this is like my theory and what I'm learning at the Larry is that we try to do the things right, And that's that's a lot to begin with. And always learning, always learning. And then how do you communicate that with everyone in this incredibly noisy online area? And how do you engage people? It's an art form. And I think that's what I'm learning as well. And so another another way to answer your question is that, so I ask stuff, but I inadvertently learn stuff like data. So I'll tell you one, like, because I'm conscious of your time as well. But I'll tell you one story, and you actually, you, you might, this is quite relevant to your background. So, on the Architecture Social last year, one of the things I did was with this chap who was fantastic. We did a series of Grasshopper and Dynamo online courses and Revit courses, and they were completely for free. And I thought this is going to be amazing. Everyone's going to do it and we advertised it, advertisers free, and so you could sit down on the weekend and be live, and um, a few people went, so that, that was cool, but it wasn't a huge number, I thought it'd be hundreds, right? But it was very few, and then we did a competition where the competition was that you had all these Revit files, you had a, a video where this, the guy Simon wrote it, and people had to submit the work and they had to do a few drawings. They had to design their own building. They had to put it in Revit, and then I would give them a book. So I had all these books ready to go, and no one entered. Mm. Whereas, what I learned is that if I do certain events or I post a job or I or I, I do a talk, more people would come. And so, what? what I learned is that not always what I think is the right thing is what people participate in. And the other thing is that I've learned is that have um, just like you touched upon earlier, because I do a video and I tell people what I think is right. Doesn't mean that people do it. And that's why I think that there's a big piece, which I'm learning, which is accountability. And that's why one thing with uh, coaching is that financial transaction to me actually means a lot because it means that people commit. And I think that sometimes when things are for free, people are not committing. So the fact of paying me means you take yourself seriously. Yep. And it means I take it seriously. Yep. Whereas with this free Revit course, while I know people are busy, it didn't work. And so I learned something from that because on paper it seems amazing, but it didn't, no one was interested. Therefore, it wasn't relevant. So I constantly have to do stuff which people engage in and people can learn from. And also, I think that, and this is, I can't substantiate this, this is anecdotal again. I do think that the pretense is that there's a lot of free stuff online, but I don't think that free means quality. And I and I but think. see,
1: so. sorry to interrupt. You see, you you're you you think this way as well. You don't think free means quality, so not always. Yeah, well, similarly, the people who would look at this free course would have the same thought.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Whereas my initial idea was we will do it completely for free, mm-hmm. but there was no take up. So it's kind of like a balance. Yeah, so I'm yeah, not, i I've I've not I've not fully worked it out, but you can. Because there's a part of me where the architecture social will always be free. We will always help students out. But that's why the challenge of monetizing it kind of works as well. So, how could you do it in a non intrusive way? Mm. Uh, and I, it is getting there. But maybe when this podcast is released, I'll have the answer. And you have a we minute. Work it out. <laughs> yeah. But look, there's so much amazing stuff. Unless you have a burning question for me, do you have any other questions?
1: I, I I think I'm good. Thank you.
0: Amazing. All right. Oof, I kind of felt the pressure like I was being interviewed there. Oof, <laughs> it's a hot room here. Well, that's amazing. Okay. So we covered so much today. It was amazing to learn about your company, what was important to you, your values, your background, all the amazing stuff that you've got coming up as well. I can't wait for your podcast. Now that we've had done this together, you will forever be... Um, you will be part of the Architecture Social alumni. But if you want me to do anything, I'll buy it or anything. And the Architecture Social live stream is open to you to use however you want. People can find you on LinkedIn. They can connect with you, Katia. They just just Google Katia 11 <laughs> yeah. and you can find you. And check out Blush Cloud and stick around and drop messages. And if you're not on the Architecture Social already, I will drop you an invite for that then you can people connect with you
1: there. Of course oh, I'm, I'm on the based. sexual social already. Stephen, what are you talking about? Of course I Of am. course!
0: There you go. Course, I just I dropped myself a clanger before whenever I go like, you're on there and people go, I'm not. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. of course you are. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being Kim. I am going to end this podcast now. What I forgot to say, and we'll keep it in live, is that stick around for one minute because it's going to upload. But everyone that's listening, have a fantastic day. I'm going to play the outro now. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much,
0: Stephen. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.